upon the cross. Come on, say every praise. Every praise. It's to our God. Take it up one more time. Every 
atmosphere in the house of the Lord. Isn't it a good atmosphere? Y'all made it a great atmosphere. The, the, the word of God says he inhabits the praises of his people. And when we get together, if we would just begin to just, just adore him and praise him, the atmosphere would just change because he can't help himself but to just inhabit our praises and so there's a great, great presence in this room. We thank God for that. And for those of you that are joining us online, uh, virtually, welcome to our Thursday night Bible study. Uh, hope you're experiencing a great atmosphere where you are, because we certainly are enjoying a great atmosphere. The presence of the Lord certainly is in this place. If you will stand with me tonight, we're going to go before the Lord in prayer we got a lot to cover tonight, so you're going to have to bear with me um, and, and see if we can get through this tonight. Tonight is our final lesson um, on the series Holiness, and so I want to get through all of it. Don't forget, I made mention to you that if you'd like a copy of my notes uh, for this entire series, text me, text me your email address, so I have it, and tonight or First thing tomorrow, I will send this out to you. Um, it's a very, very um, detailed uh, teaching. I'm probably not even touching a third of the lesson. Probably a third of it you haven't heard. Um, it just would take that much time, and it, and some of it it needs to, you need to go over it detail by detail. And so, I mean, one portion of scripture. Could, could last you a whole hour just going through understanding the detail of the Word of God. So just text me your email address um, or, or text, me, um, text me your email address. That just means you want me to send it to you, and I'll send it to you. My sister-in-law texted me last week and said, please send me the notes. She keeps up with us, so I'll uh, make sure I send that to her so she can have it. And any one of you that want this lesson, it's available to you. It's a great lesson to have, great study. Um, it's things that people talk about in the background. 
It, it, it's a lot of information about things we talk about in the background, but we never bring to the foreground. And um, you will be able to answer some questions that you knew the answers to, but you couldn't explain the answers. And so this will help you. Let's go before the Lord in prayer tonight and ask him to help us to speak to our hearts and our minds and help us to get through this lesson. Ask him to touch your heart that the word of God, which is the seed, will fall on good ground. Lord Jesus, we love you tonight. We honor you and we give you praise. There is none like you. You are the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the great I am, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace and the wonderful Counselor. Oh God, how we're grateful to be called the children of the Most High God. Lord, we're grateful to assemble ourselves one more time. For Lord, we want to partake of whatever you're doing in this last hour. And oh God, we surrender ourselves tonight asking, Lord God, that you'll create in us a clean heart. That you'll forgive us of every sin that we've committed against you. That you will root out of us, Lord God, bitterness, ungodliness, immorality. That you will root out of us, Lord God, all ungodliness. That, Lord, we can be cleansed and that we can be pure. And that our heart will be open to the word of God. Lord, wash us by the washing of the word that we may be cleansed. And, oh God, that we may be pure at heart tonight. I pray that you'll transmit to us, Lord God, in the inward part. That, God, your word will take root and grow and produce good fruit. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you have your way in this place tonight. And wherever we're, oh God, being a part of this service, this Bible study tonight, have your way in those homes and in those lives, oh God. Let none be exempt tonight uh, from the moving of the Spirit of the Lord and from the impartation uh, of your word tonight, Lord God. But let all, oh God, receive and, oh God, be empowered. And let all come to a place of obedience to the word of God. Uh, and let faith increase, oh God, uh, that we can move on and do what you want us to do. I pray your anointing upon me as your speaker tonight, Lord God, that you'll anoint me to speak as your oracle. And, oh God, that the Holy Ghost, Lord, will influence my mind, my thoughts, and all that I will say. Oh God, have your way tonight. Stir up the gift that is inside of me, Lord God. Stir up the gift that is inside of all of us. Oh God, touch our hearing that we may hear what the Spirit is saying unto us. Oh God, I thank you for your presence that I feel in this place. I thank you for your presence that's moving inside of me. I thank you, oh God, for your word tonight. And I pray, almighty God, that we will see the hand of God in this place and that the power of God will be revealed and that we will not leave this place the same way. But change will come to us, Lord God. Growth will take place. Strength will come forth and the will of God may be done. Help us, will you please, almighty God. We ask you these things in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Let us all clap our hands unto the Lord and thank him tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, open up your mouth and just say, thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I honor you, Jesus. There is none like you, Jesus. Oh, great is the Lord and greatly. Jesus, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for 
praying along with us. Thank you for your time of just just surrendering to the Lord. Let's continue to surrender to him and let him have his way. You may be seated and we will get right into the word of the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. We're still uh, ministering about holiness. Uh, keep Sister idea in your prayer. She mentioned to me today that she weren't feeling so well. And uh, she had every um, thought to be here tonight and then last minute wasn't feeling that well. So she's, she's not able to be here tonight. So keep her in your prayer. And uh, don't forget um, this Saturday morning, um, our prayer breakfast. So 8 a.m. we will be here. Um, we will also uh, go live via Zoom. If um, We'll send the link out to you so you can log in. Um, and be able to be a part of our uh, prayer breakfast this Saturday morning. So 8 a.m. we get started. If you can be here, we'd love to have you. Tell you one thing, if you're here, you'll get some breakfast. <laughs> if you're not here, you're going to have to do breakfast on your own at home. So it's up to you. Uh, so we'll be here at 8 a.m. and um, we'll have our prayer breakfast. And I'm sure we'll have a good time. The Lord will have his way and he will give us direction Amen. And so uh, be a part of that. And then uh, I've been making I mentioned this once before and I want to continue to mention it um, on our leadership call on Wednesday evenings. Um, we talked about. Um, we got to get Brother D on the call. Ethan, you're good with that. Um, make sure Brother D is on the call. Make sure he has the link. I know he was supposed to be on the call from the very beginning, but I, I, Brother Brother Daryl always has some good insights. So make sure he's on the call on Wednesdays. Yes, but um, <laughs> I um, we talked about uh, having a family meeting, and what that is is we have not been together as a church family, all of us being together, and even before the pandemic. We really all were never together because the space and it just seems like sometimes we're in a routine of 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 rotation. And so some Sundays, some people will be here, other Sundays, others will not be here. And so um, we never really had everybody here. And so now we want to do the. um the family meeting uh, via Zoom. And so we're going to send you out a link. If you do not, if we don't have your contact information, please go on our website, ChristCenteredOnline.com, ChristCenteredOnline.com. Um, go online and make sure you enter in your contact information, especially your phone number, because we want to text you the link. But next Tuesday... Uh, which would be August the 4th or the 5th? Okay, Tuesday, whatever Tuesday date is, August 4th or 5th? 4th. All right, okay, sounds good. So 7 p.m., you can log on, and we will all be together as a church family. And so it's nothing formal. We'll just get on and say hello to one another, get to see faces. And so I uh, would love for you to join us. But it's it's for the church. It's nothing more than just us wanting to be together, see each other's face since we haven't seen each other's face in a long time, over 140 days. 
And so if we get a chance to come together, that would be great. So I look forward to that. Um, continue to remind me and um, to mention that. And you all um, mention it to one another um, so we can uh, maybe we should kind of do something on Facebook to promote that. Sister Patrice and um, Sister Samantha, uh, um, Sister Shauna, um, just calling names. Brother Ethan, Ethan, Ethan is in trouble, but he can handle it. It just seems like everything that is coming up, Ethan can do something about, uh, you know, and be a part of it. So, so he gets lumped into everything now. But it's all right, Ethan. You can handle it. Just, just raise your hand when you can't handle it anymore. But, but, but Ethan, Shauna, Samantha, Patrice, you guys do something to kind of promote our family meeting on Zoom this coming Tuesday at 7 p.m. All right, let's get into the word of the Lord. And let's see what the Lord will say to us. All right. We've been talking about holiness and we've been digging into it. Amen. I might be getting feedback from you guys over there. I, 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 that kind of, you know, challenged me a little bit when I hear myself. You know that. Um, so let's look at um, uh, trace the concept of apparel through scriptures. We're going to trace the concept of apparel through scriptures. Mankind first clothing. At first, Adam and Eve were clothed in innocent, but after sin came, their nakedness became a shame and danger to them. Their nakedness did not result from removing physical garments, for they had never worn any physical garments, right? Rather, they became aware of their nakedness because of sin. So they didn't know they were naked the whole time they were in the garden before they sinned. But after they sinned, they realized they were naked. Okay. They now were separated from God's glory, which had been their covering. God's glory was their covering before they sinned. Genesis 2 and 25, the word of the Lord says, and they were both naked, the man and his wife. And were not ashamed. Genesis 3 and 7. And the eyes of them both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together. And made themselves aprons. Genesis chapter 3 verse number 10. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Genesis 3:21. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. They tried to cover their nakedness by sewing together fig leaves to make an apron. The 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 word apron actually means girdle or belt or loincloth. That was what Adam and Eve used to cover themselves. Loincloth, girdle. This is a garment covering the public region and hips. And it is what man thought of how to dress himself when he realized he was naked. So man realized he was naked because of his sin. And now that he can tell he's naked, 
All he cared about was covering private parts. Not every part, just the private parts. That's what man's idea was of being dressed. But verse 10 of the scriptures we read indicates that Adam and Eve still knew they were naked. So even when they sowed the fig leaves, even when they had on what now we look at as loincloth, they still knew they were naked. Well, how did they know they were naked, preacher? They knew they were naked in the sight of God. So it's one thing for you to think you are not naked because everybody accept your nakedness. It's a different ball game to understand what does God think about what you have on. Are you naked or not? So you and I might think that we can put some clothes on and this is suffice. Why? Because majority of our society is saying what I have on is suffice. But the mistake that I think we are making is when we give our life to Christ, we have to take our cue from him and ask and look into the word of God what is acceptable to him. Not what is acceptable to society or my buddy that's in church. Our question must always be, what does the word of God says? What does God say about how I look? Forget about me for a second, because if it was up to me, I know what I would do. But if I turn my life over to Jesus and I really belong to him and I'm taking my cue from him. You know, we like to wake up in the morning and says, Lord, order my steps today. Well, the first thing he might say is, I don't like what you have on. But you said, order my steps, Lord. And now he's telling you, I don't like what you have on. Because what we think is dressing, the Lord doesn't see it the same way. How do you know that, preacher? How can you say that? Okay, I'm going to tell you, how can I say that? Since their covering was not acceptable, God used animal skin to make them a coat. No longer loincloth, not this fig leaf business. He made them a coat. So the Lord killed an animal, took the skin of the animal, and made them a coat. That coat, if you look up the Hebrew meaning of that, it means a tunic with sleeves coming down. And that tunic will either come to the knees or go down further. So when the Lord clothed them, he clothed them with uh, a coat, uh, a, 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 a covering that, that it came down to their sleeves and it came down to their knees or longer. So it was a coat. Remember what we always say, a coat and a jacket is different, right? And so the Lord clothed them the way he wanted them to look and he covered everything up. So now when we think about getting dressed, if we are endeavoring to live and serve the Lord Jesus and live to please him, part of pleasing him is how we are dressed. I know that's a touchy subject. And I know we have a lot of different conversations. That's why when I started out early, I said those are conversations that take place in the background. Because when you start to talk about people's look, their attire, their dress, uh, you're messing with just who they feel like they are, their pride. And, you know, they put a little pizzazz in whatever the way they dress. And so 
when you tell them about what the Lord want now, it's almost saying, you, you tell me I can't have what I want. But the bottom line is when you start living for God, there's a lot of things that you used to want that you can't have anymore. That's just the fact. You know, we want to believe that when we start living for God, it's just, I, I think we want to believe that start living for God just means that now I have God and I'm going to heaven. And so before I didn't, I didn't have God in my life and I wasn't going to heaven, but now I have God in my life and I'm going to heaven, but that's it. And we don't think about the things that God require because we don't understand why we were in the place not having God in our life from the first place. There's a reason why we don't have God in our life. There's a reason why we're not going to church. There's a reason why that God is not in our life. In a big, it's because we don't want to listen to God. And so the day we decide that I want to know God, I, I want to live for God, I want to go to heaven, the game changes and the rule changes with the game. But somehow we want to get to heaven and still be who we are. And the biggest thing we don't realize is what who you are wasn't who God intended you to be. Ooh, that's a deep one, preacher. So to try to live for God the way you're living for God, you're making a big mistake because you're assuming that who you are is who you're supposed to be. But if you come to the place and say, God, I've been living the way I want, but is that who I am? And then he speaks to you and says, no, I mean, your character, fine, uh, uh, your personality, fine, but the way you do things, no, I'm not fine with it. And so I'm not making you change. You have to decide you want to change. And this is where, again, we get it confused because God is not making us do anything. Why? Because love doesn't force you. And so we always talk about God so love us. He does. And that's why he's not forcing us to do anything. He is saying to you, will you submit to me for me to instruct you how to live? This is why as God walked, the, walked, walked in this world and lived his life, Jesus Christ, the man Christ Jesus, almighty God in the flesh, we keep thinking that that, that, that Jesus was, was, was the second person of the Trinity or that Jesus was just the son of God, but not God all because he was trying to show us what submission was because in order to, he kept saying, I've come to do the will of the father. And so we think, oh, it must be two different people. No, no, no. He's trying to show you that if you live in this world, you have to be submitted to God. But we took it for something else because we're always trying to adjust the scales so we can benefit. We're always trying to adjust the scales so we can get what we want. You listen to someone long enough and watch how they talk about whatever it is till they get to the place of what they want, not what God wants. I wasn't supposed to stay that long on that topic because we got a lot to cover. The moral shame of nakedness, the moral shame of nakedness, the concept of nakedness in the Bible can refer either to nudity or partial nakedness, not being adequately or fully clothed. The context of the word determines which meaning uh, it has. And so 
there is times in the Bible call you naked, but you're not like, you know, stark naked. It, it's just talking about um, that there are things you need to put on over what you already have on. And so in Job 1.21, the word of God says, and said, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord had taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, John 21 and 7. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, it is the Lord. Now Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He girt his fisher's coat upon him for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. A person was looked upon as stripped and naked if he had only taken off his upper or outer garment. So remember, we talk about the, 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 what the Lord gave them, the, the, the tunic. The, it's a coat. And so when you have that on, that's like an undergarment. And you're supposed to get dressed. Remember back then they wore robes, right? They all wore robes. That's a lot of what's in the study. I'm not even going to get into that tonight. But they all wore robe. And so it, with the robes, there were distinction between a woman's robe and a man's robe. But under it was the clothing of male or female. And so the tunic that um, it, it was made either for a man or a woman. So you could not have your robe on and that would be considered naked. Because... You didn't, you weren't fully clothed. You were partially clothed. And so there are times where the scripture is talking about stark naked, but sometimes it's talking about just, you know, partially naked. Like for instance, when David danced out of his clothes, David weren't stark naked. No, he just came out of the robe, the kingly robe, and surely he still had clothing on. So, so what God sees as naked and what the Bible may tell you is naked, you may say, that's not naked. But again, what are we doing this for? Are we doing this to keep on being who we want to be? Or are we doing this to please the almighty God? And, if, you know, every time I say to please God, I think about people saying, well, you know, you know, what's the big deal? The big deal is God did everything he could to please you. In case you know it, you may not know it and you may not understand it, but he didn't have to come out of heaven. He didn't have to come out of heaven, but he did it. He didn't have to be beaten, but he did it. He didn't have to come here, but he did it. And so the bottom line is God did everything he could to please you. So when I say that we ought to live our life to please God, it's not being unfair. It's not God saying, oh, you're not going to be, I can't let you be who you're supposed to be. No, it's saying I'm trying to help you to be who you're supposed to be because you don't know who you're supposed to be. You have, have, have put together what you think is your lifestyle and you're living the way you think you should, but that's not the way. And the only way you'll find that that's not the way is when you come to me. I mean, look at us in these days, how we have adjusted because of the pandemic. Is that our normal way of living? It's not. But we did what we had to do to keep going, right? And so that's who we have. This, that's who we are as a people from the very beginning. We have done and orchestrate whatever we need to do to keep going and living the way we think we think we should live. And God is saying, 
You all, it's just like the children of Israel. They kept walking around in the wilderness because they wouldn't do what they were supposed to do. So that's what we do. When we try to live the way we want, we live a wondering life, just just living life wondering, but thinking that we know what we're doing. But until you come to the one who knew why he created you from the first place until you go to him and says, well, you created me and you knew me before I was even formed in my mother's womb, which means you know what I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to do. He knows. But we still insist on being who we want and then dress it up. Oh, the Lord is my savior, my Lord and savior, and I'm going to heaven. It don't work that way. Doesn't work that way. All right. Let me um, move on because I find myself talking about stuff a little bit longer than I'm supposed to. So let me move on a little bit here and talk to you about some other stuff. All right. Nakedness must be covered. This principle is not cultural, but biblical. Nakedness must be covered. Apparel in Bible times. The original function of clothing was to protect the body from changing climate and lustful desires. Soon, however, people made clothing and ornaments the expression of pride and sex. So originally, clothing, because we sinned, we messed up everything. Even the functionality of nature got messed up. This is why the Bible talks about even nature waits for the return of the Lord so it can go back to its original state. Even nature, because when we messed up, we messed up everything. And so even nature is return, is waiting on the return of the Lord so it can even start functioning the way it needs to. And so clothing was for us to be protected and it was for us to deal with the changing of the climate originally, originally. But of course, we're creative because we were made in the image of God, Ethan. And so instead of us realizing how awesome God is to make somebody in his image, which makes us super intelligent, it makes us, I mean, awesome in our in our imagination and in, in, in the way we can do things because we were made in the image of God. Instead of us glorifying God for how he has created us, we have taken this mind and figure out how we can benefit from it, which really isn't a benefit. <laughs> but we think it's a benefit. Uh-huh. These desires led people to flaunt themselves with showy or scanty dress and costly or gaudy ornaments. Thus, apparel and adornment soon became the index of spiritual decline. The more depraved people became, the more outwardly extravagant and immodest they became. So whether we want to like it or not, we started wearing clothing to tell people what we are all about. (laughs) Now, we don't want to, you know, I mentioned this already, but I'll mention it again. We don't want to admit to that, Brother D. But Brother D, you're a good man. I know you'll admit to it. You know you 
put clothing on sometime because it represents how you feel, who you think you are. You know, uh, Brother D got married in a nice tuxedo or suit. He got he got married in a nice suit suit, but he had sneakers on. Cheryl didn't mind it. She enjoyed it. It was fine. But that was him. You know what I mean? That was him. And so that said something about who he is, because when his wife saw him, she said, oh, that's Daryl. So he did something that represents how he normally does things. Right. And so that's just one example. But all throughout humanity, we are dressed unless we just can't afford it. But if we can afford to wear what we want, it will express who we believe we are. Whether we want to admit it or not, it's the truth. We don't have to admit it. I'm just telling you the truth. So we, we, we need to stop making it seems like when, when, when the word of God is telling you that holiness represents you're supposed to dress a certain way that all of a sudden now we got a big issue with it and why the church is just, it's the pastor that's saying that or the church, some churches don't, don't require that. We're not talking about what churches require, what pastors require. I'm telling you what the word of God says. Listen, I don't have nothing to gain by trying to uh, make you feel good. If God really call a man or a woman to pastor and they want to not tell you the whole truth, I feel for them. Because of their situation. Listen, you're getting it as real as you come. When, when, when I talk about sin, if I sin, that includes me. I'm not talking about you and not include myself in this. And so we're all susceptible to all of what I'm talking about. And we have to get this right. Because if we're going to go to heaven, all of this count. We can't just let the blessings count and good health count and open doors count and God make you feel good count. But all the other stuff, you're like, eh, eh. it's all a part of it. We got to let it all count. We can't we can't step away from it and, and only do what we want. So it's important to understand those things. Gender distinction in the Old Testament, since it's apparent that both men and women are wore robes in Bible times, an obvious question is how was it possible for them to fulfill God's command for gender distinction in clothing? Deuteronomy again, here we go, 22.5. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Historically, men and women have worn robes of one kind or another for the major part of human history. Thus, the distinctiveness of masculinity and femininity attire, as far as its construction was concerned, was in ornamentation. That is, in their style, color, markings, length, cut, and trim. That's where the distinction came in on the robe. Style, color, markings, length, cuts, and trim. That's how they distinguish what a man's robe was and a lady's robe was. These were obviously quite significant distinction since one sex could be casually observed at a distance. Mm. 
However, the most important gender distinction was not simply in what they wore, but in how they wore it. There were male and female ways of utilizing their clothing. Firstly, the priests wore breeches under their robes in Bible times. This word does not occur very often in Scripture, but every case, it's man's apparel. When you talk about breeches or breeches, whichever way you want to say it, women were not allowed to wear breeches. According to Hebrew lexicon, breeches means trousers that extend below the knees. The latter English word, breeches, developed from this term, as did our modern concept of pants. Women in Bible times did not wear crotched garments, pants, because of God's disapproval. Thus, pants were worn exclusively by men for the first 5,900 years of human history. We're always getting smarter. You hear me say it all the time. As society changed, Brother Jackson, we get smarter. And I keep on saying, where are we going? We keep getting smarter and smarter. Brother D, I'm like, where are we going? I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what's the next move with the cell phones. Like, what more do you need it to do? Because I think you can do everything right now. What more? But guess what? There will be a new one in September. I don't know. I just keep asking what more we need. We keep getting smarter and smarter. And all it's doing is making us more depraved, more depraved, taking us further down in sin for, because we have to keep going, keep doing more. I don't know. In trying to argue a positive case of cross-dressing, some point out that every time the word skirt is used in the King James, it refers to a man. There Inane and uneducated reasoning is modern women can wear pants because Bible men wore skirts. However, the Hebrew word kanap actually means extremity or corner of a garment. When Saul tore the skirt of Samuel's mantle in 1 Samuel 15, 27, and David cut off the skirt of Saul's robe in 1 Samuel 24, 4, they did not rip their clothes, but off, but off. They did not rip their clothes off, but merely took a piece, a corner of the garment. Secondly, men in Bible times were permitted to gird up their loins while women were not. A man could transform his robe into a closer fitting, less cumbersome garment by bringing the back hem of his robe between his legs and tucking it into his waistband girdle. This created a trouser like effect and was distinctively masculine appearance. Women were allowed to lift up the hem of their robe to help carry something, but to raise it above their knees or to gird up their loins like a man was considered grossly immodest by God and by biblical society. In other words, when a man pull up his trouser, gird it up, when he go to pull it up, it only should be a man pulling up a pants to gird it up. A woman should uh, get dressed differently and, and put something else on that she don't have to gird up. That's God's word. Because when you're putting on a pants, woman, you're doing what a man does. When you put on a pants, woman, you're putting on what a man does. And so the bottom line is, you're different from him. 
So you're not supposed to be doing what he does. So that's how we come to understand, you know, sometimes we get into, you know, a lot of different reasons. But the bottom line is a woman is not supposed to do what a man does. That's the bottom line. The girding of loins was allowed in alignment with masculine roles and responsibilities. When God wanted Jeremiah to be a man and not to be afraid of people as he delivered his prophetic message, he commanded him, gird up your loins, Jeremiah. So when God is referring to men, he tells them to gird up their loins because it means pull that thing up. But he never tell a woman Gert that thing up because you're in actuality saying to a man, when you say girt your loins, you're saying, you're saying, be a man, stand up and be a man. That's how he addressed Job. That's how he addressed Jeremiah. And you can go through scripture. So that's what God is saying when he tell, say to a man, gird up your loins. He's saying, be a man. He's not going to tell a woman, gird up her loins because she's not supposed to be girding up her loins. Any garment that shows a separation of the legs above the knee is immodest apparel for godly woman. God does not approve of it. I'll say it again. Any garment that shows a separation of the legs above the knee is immodest apparel for a godly woman. God does not approve of it. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. So, if you have any questions after church, I'll take them, like I said. And if you have a lot of questions, guess what? I will email this to you. So, if you want me to email this to you, please let me know. I told you I got a lot of notes here, and I'm not going to be able to go over all of them, but I sure will give you the points I believe are important. Paul says that a woman clothing must be modest. A woman's clothing must be modest. The word modest comes from the Greek word kosmios, which means well-ordered, becoming dignified. It describes one whose inner self-discipline and humble attitude is reflected outwardly in appropriate attire. Paul was shrewd enough to to, to, to know that a woman's dress is a mirror of her mind. What a woman wears not only reflect her morals, it affects her conduct and demeanor. Brother D, not, that's not just a woman, that's a man too. So when I used to hit the clubs, after a while, well, because I like to get dressed, I usually find the clubs that says no sneakers. I used to find the spots that say no sneakers. You know why they used to tell us no sneakers? A lot of y'all probably don't know, but I'll tell you why. Because when you dressed up, the chance of you fighting in that club is very slim. When you're dressed up, the chance of you having a fight in that club was very slim. But when you have on your sneaks and jeans and somebody step on your brand new Jordans, the chance of you fighting is a whole lot higher than if you had some nice shoes on. Because if you had some nice shoes on, they step on it, you, be, you might be mad, but you look so good, you don't want to fight. 
So we keep playing this game with our mind and all this stuff and try to let people, people have to accept and you justify. That's on you, brother. That's on you, sister. Because even the world already knew that how you dress had something to do with what you're saying. The world knows that. But we're trying to deny that. The Lord wants you to dress like you are his. This study that we're going through, it's a holiness study of the word of God. But the, 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 the title, the underlying title is because we are his. So the reason why we're going through this and talking about this is because we're trying to please him. And in you pleasing him, you're going to not please you sometimes. That's how it goes. Ladies, some days, some of y'all that's married a long time, Sister Jackson, y'all can do this. I'm not saying you do it, but y'all can some days when you don't feel like cooking. I ain't cooking today. But before you got to that place in your marriage, there was a time where you understand, I need to cook for my man. And there were days you went to work and came home and didn't feel like cooking, but you cooked anyway. You're trying to take care of your man. You didn't feel like it, but you're trying to take care of him. You're trying to please him. And that's a man. I don't know. I I keep telling you all, I'm teaching this because the Lord wants me to teach it. But for me, it's a no brainer. We shouldn't be struggling with all this stuff. We should we should allow the Lord to just work in our lives and we should just, just go with the flow. And when we're off, he will convict us and we'll just gladly get back on track. But we shouldn't be going through all this because it's simple when you think about it. When a woman wear her uh, her her apparel, it's supposed to be a long, flowy apparel. Uh-huh. You ever see rich people dress? Brother Tom, you see some rich people, especially rich women. Let me mess with y'all a little bit. Until recent, because we just off the rails now. But until recent, you probably never saw a rich loaded woman dressed up in a pantsuit. Y'all want to mess with me on that? Until recent, we just started doing that now. Because we just off the rails. But before now, and, and even now, most of the times you go to go buy something very expensive, woman, it ain't no pants. Ain't no pants. I'm just saying, it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer, but we, we, we make this stuff, and, and, and you get something, you know, that's expensive. It's flowy. It's a dress. So you can just walk your walk, lady. So when you walk in the room, they say, who is that? That's how it's supposed to go. They're not supposed to be looking saying, excuse me if I sound terrible. But there are some women that when they see you, they say, I want to take her home. And there's some women they see and say, who is that? So sometimes you look, they say they want to get to know you the way you look. Other times they see you, they say, I want to take her home. Y'all figure that out. I'm a man. I've been around a little bit. Been around a little bit. I'm telling you the truth. So you choose which one you're going to be. Because if you be the one that God wants you to be, he's going to want to know you. Not take you home. Ah, help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. We used to go to the clubs. Man, I'm telling you what some men do. The young boys probably do it now. They used to go to the clubs, and we used to bet on who was going to take somebody home. 
bet. Let's see who takes somebody home tonight. We used to bet money or drinks on that. And that take home come down to how you look. And then if you look real good, you know what we say? Wifey material. Y'all better stop. Y'all better stop. Y'all better stop and leave me alone. If you was looking like a child of God, we say wifey material. But if you look like you wanted, we say, I'm going to take that home tonight. Y'all don't want to mess with me. I'm just telling you the truth. And then we come in and we want to play with God. Think God is some kind of corny sucker God. You want to play God? God ain't corny. He, you can't play him. You can't even play me. How you going to play him? I don't know. I'm just saying that it's time that we become holy. Dress holy. We got to get holy from the inside. That, 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 that when, when we feel, listen, let, let, you want me to show you how transparent I am? So you know the styles are changing. And so I'm trying to look hip like the, you know, I got young kids, I got, I got sons that are, you know, young, cool sons, right? And they look good. And then I got these little ones. And so I'm saying, I can't look like no old guy because I, you know, I gotta be decent, right? And so they're making clothes differently. So you see my pants now, they look a little bit kind of youngish. But, but, but there's sometimes I put them on, I said, hold on, this ain't loose enough. Today I took some pants back to the mall because I bought a suit and they was making it like the young boys. I said, that didn't, I said, no, I took it back. They said, let the seat out, do something, open up some stuff some more. I know it's the cool way, but open it up a little bit. I can't be all tight like that. And I'm a man. I'm a man, and I got the Holy Ghost. I understand that as a man, I can't be wearing no tight stuff. Oh, man. So y'all like to act, especially women, they like to act like, you know, they the one got it hard. I told y'all a long time ago, I played soccer. So my legs is all right. They're a good look. If I want to do like um, y'all want to do. It's a good look. I'm just telling you the truth. And every good soccer player, any man that plays soccer over a period of time or a woman, their legs is a good look. So they want to show it off. So stop acting like you're not the only one that can be tempted to show stuff off. We all want to show it off. But if we want to please God, we can't show it off. Only our spouse is supposed to see it. Help me, Jesus. I'm just trying to get it through. I really want to see us be holy. I really do. I want to see us be holy. That's all I'm trying to tell you. And and not even question it. We just need to say, what do you say? Okay, Lord. Trying to please you, Lord. That word in, in, in the Bible, shamefacedness, we talked about the word shamefacedness comes from the Greek word, eidos, which means a sense of shame, bashfulness, Reverence regards for others, it derived from the root word edo, which has the significance or, uh, of turning the eye, the mind, the attention to anything. And so the word has a deeper significance in regard to adornment than uh, 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 apparel. However, in the matter of closing, this word tells us that a woman is responsible to dress so that she does not turn eyes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
and the eyes turning again. She's not supposed to turn the eyes for the guy to say, I want to take her home. She'll turn the eyes because she belongs to God for the guy to say, who is that? And all he want to do is go have a good conversation with her because he want to make her wife. He want to make her wife. He's looking like, oh, my goodness. Now, she's different from everybody else that's in this room. Who is that? But a lot of women don't trust God for that. They think that if, if, if they got to do it, they got to be the one to, to pull the guy in. And I'm telling you, when you pull that guy in on your own, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna go through some stuff. If you, if you be godly and let God pull that dude in for you, you're going to be all right. You know, I've heard a story my mom shared with me, and I've heard from other people that some people have gotten with people that they said, that if it was up to me, I didn't think he looked that good or I didn't think she looked that good. But they said that's what God directed them to. And they married and they happy and everything going good. Why? Because it was a God thing. But if, if man or woman decide they're going to find their own thing, oh, man, it's going to be problems. Especially if you're in the church. It's going to be problems. You got you to gotta let God bring it into existence. You got to trust God and let him do his thing. The modern day problem over modesty is not primarily the putting on of apparel, but the taking off of apparel. People and unfortunately Christians have taken modesty confined to private settings and moved it to public display. And so if we're going to really, truly be holy, we have to keep nakedness where it belongs, in the bedroom. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I feel like I want to take a couple of questions here, but I'm going to keep going. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Help us, Lord. You know what I need to read? Turn to... um. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Mm-hmm. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's get there. That, that's a text that gets discussed all the time. Let's turn there. I'm almost done. Give me about 15 more minutes and we'll, done. we'll be done. All right, so let's look at um, 1 Corinthians uh, 11 and 1. Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. This is the Apostle Paul. Uh-huh. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I have delivered them to you. Verse 3. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. Women read this and they get nervous. I ain't let that man just do whatever he want. But the bottom line is, if the if the head of the man is Christ, really, who's your head? But that's another story. I'm not even going to get that. That's not it right there. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. What that means is, a man that's supposed to be a man of God, praying and prophesying with long hair, guess what he does? He dishonor Christ because Christ is his head. 
So if he prays and worship with long hair, he dishonor his head, Christ. But every woman that prayeth or prophesied with her head uncover, dishonoreth her head, for that is even all as if she was shaven. So what that's saying is a woman that cuts her hair off and decides she want to pray and prophesy, she dishonor herself. Because what God is saying is, ladies, let your hair grow. Men, keep your hair short. Because God is still up to gender distinction. Now, I know we're living in some different times right now. I'm only teaching the word of God. Okay? And so God was always about gender distinction. And so he wants the woman to let her hair grow. He wants the men to keep it short. Gender distinction. All right, verse 6, for if the woman be not covered, let her also be shaven. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shaven or or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought to not cover his head. And again, that's growing long hair. It's not wearing a hat. For as much as he is the image and the glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. When a woman don't cut her hair off, it, 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 it does something in her. It is something about it that empowers her. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman. But all things of God, judge in yourself. Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? So it says, is it right for a woman to pray to God with her head shaven? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? God is saying, like I'm saying tonight, there are some things that you can really just know from society and it doesn't have to go all deep in, 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 in biblical th- terms. It's just you know it. And so God is saying, even nature teaches you that, dude, you don't walk around with no long hair. You know, that's not what a man does. But he goes on. If a woman have long hair, it is her glory to her, for her hair is given for a covering. I'll stop right there. And so in, in, in reading that, now we go back to our study here now. The widespread, the widespread practice of women cutting their hair began in the United States in the Roaring Twenties, a decade defined by its spirit of frivolity, materialism, immorality, and rebellion. The world had survived World War I, but not without paying the price of great societal upheaval. During the 1920s, no national issue aroused U.S. citizen like that of bobbed hair. So in 1920s is when the bob, women, y'all know what I'm talking about, is when the bob came out. And women were cutting their hair for the bob. So for, for many years before the 20s, women never cut their hair. And now all of a sudden, in the 20s, 
They just got over World War One, And you know when you win a war, you just feel free to go do whatever you want. We won the war. And so the bottom line is that's when they started cutting hair. But it was never the will of God for women to cut their hair. Don't get quiet. You'll get the teaching if you want to get deep into it because I can't get all into it. Uh, the number of hairdressers <laughs> quadrupled in four years because women decide they're going to start cutting their hair to wear the bob. So cutting of the hair was not something God uh, approved of. Somebody say amen. All right. We're getting there. 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 All right. Our submission is based on truth. In God's uh, economy, a, a subordinate role does not imply inferiority, just as Jesus was equal to the Father in his divinity, but submissive to the Father in will in his humanity. So we have to submit to what God wants us, and we have to submit to one another according to the word of God. The problem in the Corinthian church, what we just read about, was not with Corinthian women cutting their hair. Every reputable Bible scholar emphatically states that moral, that, that moral women in all cultures of Paul's day did not cut their hair. The problem was that the, the Christian women was enamored with their newfound freedom in Christ, were no longer wearing veils as their culture demanded. This unintentionally identified them with the heathen priestesses in the local temples to Apollo and Aphrodite who offered their worship uh, bareheaded uh, and, and, and disheveled hair and thus by association with the hundreds of temple prostitutes who even cut their hair to offer it sensuous religious rites. So they, they started, you know, they weren't required to wear veils on their head or cover their faces but that's something that we misunderstood and started doing that all right let's um jump down to let's do this okay i'm almost there i'm almost there i i, I can get through this tonight can you believe that i didn't think i was going to get through this um Uh, okay, let's look here. Okay, all right, so here we go. Christian women today do not need to wear a veil on their head or over their face. Some people think that you should and... You don't need to. That's the that's the thing. So we don't need to look at somebody that don't wear a veil and think that something is wrong with them. And if somebody decides that they want to wear their stuff, eh, they wear their stuff. The wearing of veil was only a temporary localized custom. Old Testament women in general did not wear them. In fact, it was normally prostitutes that wore veil. If you remember Tamar who wore veil in the Old Testament. The present Eastern practice of women wearing veils come from the Muslims, not the Jews or early Christians. The original plan of God does not indicate that women were to wear head veils, although other concerns of dress were specified. Bible scholars call this the, 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 the from the beginning principle. 
Jesus used it when he bypassed the law of Moses to show the Pharisees God's original opinion. And so the only time a veil is needed is when culture demands it of a modest woman. We then observe the practice not because it is necessary before God, but because we want to win our culture to God. So the veil, ladies, is not necessary, which we covered a little bit in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, talked about hair and not what some of us have thought. We view that scripture to say that's why we should put something on our head, but that's not true. Uh, okay, let me finish up here and go to, I got one more thing I want to talk to you about and then we can be finito. One more thing. Um, okay. Jewelry. <laughs> Adornment in the Old Testament. Pieces of jewelry were used as money in the Old Testament time simply because they were so valuable in ancient culture. They could be used to barter for items or in the payment of dowry, as in the case of the gift from Abraham's servant to Rebekah. It is important to note that jewelry was originally a blessing from God. So don't run from that. Uh, the, the biggest issue that the Lord had with jewelry a lot of times is that we, whatever we wear, we make them idols. And sometimes we begin to wear jewelry as idols and God don't want you to make anything as your idol. So that's the biggest thing you have to uh, watch out for when you wear jewelry is don't make it an idol. My advice when it comes down to wearing up jewelry is wear things that are meaningful for one reason or another. Your, your, your wedding ring is meaningful. A watch is meaningful. You might have received a, a gift from, from your, your spouse or something. That's meaningful. And so th that's what you want to do. But when you want to uh, make jewelry like ornaments, when you want to make it like your clothing where you're trying to say, look at me, then you might get yourself in trouble and you have to worry about that. And so that's important to know. Um, all right. So we finish here. We finish here. And if you have any questions when we're done, I can answer them for you. But here's where we finish at tonight. We're going to finish because I want you to understand this. All right. Here we go. Conclusion. In Revelation 21 2, John see the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The bride, the church is the bride of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? The purpose of the imaginary is not to teach us to wear jewelry any more than the imagery of the city's wall is to teach us to build walls around ourselves. Rather, it is to show us that the Lord thinks of his church as his peculiar church. He thinks of his church as his peculiar treasure. His church is his bride adorned with her jewels. The church jewel are its individual believer for God regard each of his people as a precious gem. So here is 
something that you miss. And I want you to get as we get out of here. You think that the reason why God is trying to get you to look a specific way is for all kind of reasons you have. And what really God is saying is what you are to me is so valuable that you only mess up yourself when you add anything else to yourself. That's what we've missed. That God is saying, this is why he calls peculiar people. Holy nation. A royal priesthood. He's calling us these things because he knows what our value is to him. And so when we begin to add things to, I guess for us, we think it makes us more valuable. God is saying it takes away your value. The way I created you is what makes you valuable. Don't add to it. Some of you don't know this. I don't see anybody in here that might know this. But you don't know this. But in my day, when we used to buy nice cars, we used to soup them up is what we say. Soup my ride up. And one of the ways of souping your ride up is buying nice rims for your car. You go and get these nice rims. You know, you know they, they wide and you get these nice tires on them, low profile, and they look good. And they cost a whole lot more than the factory rims. You want to hear something that's funny? The value of the car go down. <laughs> so, so you go and spend back in those days, we're probably talking about $500 a wheel. So between the rim and the tire, $500. And that's $500 four times, so that's $2,000. So you're spending $2,000 on rims and tires to make your car look a certain way so everybody can say, whoa, look at this car. But if you took that car to trade it in, you had to change it back to the original factory rims because the value was in what it looked like when it was made by the factory. Well, that's Jesus to us. You are valuable more when you stay according to how he created you. The more you add to yourself, the more you try to do your own thing, you devalue who you really are. And that's what God knows. And he's trying to get us to not devalue ourselves. Stand for me. Don't devalue yourself. God says you're valuable just the way you are. That's why he made you like that. When you add to it and you try to dress it up the way you think it should be dressed up, God is saying, no, 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 no. There is no longer a negative connotation on all of these things. You have to know that God wants you to look the way he wants. And that's why he wants you to refuse from putting on those things. So in first Peter, look at first Peter last text. First Peter chapter one. Look at first Peter chapter one. This is we start with this text. We're finishing with this text. Verse 15. But as he which had called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversations, because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. That's your God talking. He says, be holy. When he came, he didn't wear nothing. 
As a matter of fact, he was so awesome that his own people was upset with him because they wanted him to wear a crown of gold. They wanted him to wear things that add to him. And when he came to this earth, he wore nothing and rode a donkey. And they didn't like that. He didn't add anything because the value of you is who you are in Christ. That's your value. If you try to do anything outside of Christ, it devalues you. So hear me tonight and remember from this lesson, holiness make you valuable. If you're unholy, it devalues you. So when you are thinking about how you need to look, don't think about anything. Just make sure you are being holy because that's how you're valuable. And when you walk through the crowd and you do your thing, the anointing of God, the hand of God will be upon you and you will be a powerful sister, a powerful brother, because there's power in holiness. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. There is none like you, Jesus. I pray that the word of God that's been spoken into our hearing will go into our heart and take root and grow and produce good fruit. Lord, this is your word. And Lord, there is nothing else that I will ever add to your word. For we are told by you, commanded by you, that we must not add or take away from the word of God. And tonight, Lord, we let the word stand on its own. And so now, Lord, I say, do whatever you want to do by your spirit, Lord God. For, Lord, we want to be holy. We want to be sanctified. We want to be separated from uncleanness and be separated unto you who is holy. We want to be, oh God, connected with you, consumed by you. Oh God, tonight I pray that change will come to us individually and collectively because Lord, we trust in you and our faith causes us to to obey you. Lord, bless this church in a special way that they will begin to see the glory of the Lord because of their holiness. Because, oh God, they trust you because they understand who they are in you their value is in being holy and not in anything else lord as we go from this place tonight will you keep us will you watch over us lord god bless sister idea and touch her lord that she will feel better miss joy that she will feel better brother chuby that he'll feel better lord i pray for all those that are not feeling well in their bodies that you will heal them and make them whole and that the power of god will move over them. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this great wonderful church. All your people oh God have your way in their life. For we thank and praise you for all that you've done. In Jesus name. Somebody clap their hands unto the Lord and thank him tonight. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Well we got through it all of July. We taught on holiness. And we certainly got through it. I will email you the notes for those of you that want the notes. God bless you. Have a great evening. Love you so much. Take care. When you call me, I will respond. When you call me, I will respond. When you pull me, I will come running. When you call me, I will respond. When you call me, I will respond. When you pull me, I 